0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to be with you here today. Um, If uh, this is your first time with us, a special welcome to you. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF. In fact, my wife and I have the great privilege of helping lead the student-led church uh, on campus. Um, my wife wasn't here last week because um, along with me being sick, our youngest son was sick as well. So she had to stay home, but she's here today. And I'd like to quickly introduce her to you for those of you who have never met her. Uh, this is my wife, Nicole Hunt. Would you mind standing up and just waving to everyone? This is my lovely wife, Nicole. She is my better half in every sense. And I and I don't just say that, I truly mean that. If, if you have not gotten a chance to meet her, I, I'm sure she would love to meet you after service and say hello to her. And um, if uh, if you're here and you're a lady, you're looking for someone to invest in your life, to walk alongside you as uh, someone to, to kind of pour into your life, my wife would be happy to, to do that. Her door is always open, and so uh, the invitation is before you. I'm also happy to tell you that I'm feeling much better this week. Last week was a bit of a rough week for me, and um, I'm happy to report that I'm all better, so you don't have to Avoid me and, and approach me with Lysol wipes and you know, things like that. You can shake my hand and give me a hug, and I'm not contagious anymore. Um, but uh, for those of you who've been praying for recovery and for healing, thank you. I deeply, deeply appreciate your prayers, and um, I am feeling better. But last week, through my sickness and all, we spent some time looking at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, and I preached a message called The Prelude. The Prelude. By the way, if you missed that message, you can catch it and watch it on our website, www.acfpennstate.org, or you can uh, subscribe to our podcast, just search for Alliance Christian Fellowship, and you'll find our channel. But we looked at the Prelude, or the moments leading up to Jesus' ministry, and we unpacked some principles there in the Prelude. And today, We flip over just one chapter to Matthew chapter 5, where we see Jesus moving out of his prelude and into now what we will call, to use the same language as last week, the real stuff. We move out of the prelude and now into the real stuff. In Matthew 5, Jesus begins his ministry. He begins his ministry by preaching one of the most significant sermons to have ever been preached in human history. If there was any sermon you needed to tune into, it would be this one. In fact, no single sermon has been quoted from more times than this sermon right here. There there are principles in the sermon that even non-Christians are familiar with. Non-believers will quote the very words of Jesus without knowing that they're quoting from this sermon. And the sermon is also most famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Why? Because it was preached on the side of a mountain. It was preached on a hilltop. And Jesus preached the sermon, and this wasn't a short sermon either, okay? Uh, in fact, if you thought you were coming to the side of a mountain, for just a nice devotional time with Jesus where he would give you a 20 to 30 minute talk and give you a nicely packaged three-point sermon and send you off home. You were sorely disappointed because you didn't get a three-point sermon. You got a 20-point sermon spanning over the course of three chapters where Jesus covers all sorts of topics under the sun. Topics like money, topics like prayer, topics like fasting, anxiety, lust, relationships, how to deal with your enemies and the list goes on and on and on. Now, this is important that we see this. What ties this whole 20-point sermon, how in the world is Jesus going to tie in a 20-point sermon altogether? The way Jesus ties this 20-point sermon is through this central theme that drives itself through from the very beginning of the sermon to the very end. This theme shows up time and time again in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And what Jesus is trying to communicate in his most famous sermon of all is this. There is a different way to live, people. There's a different way to live. Jesus says, I'm gonna show you a new way to live, a better way to live, a far better way to live. I've come to teach you the kingdom way so that you begin to think in a kingdom way, so that you begin to talk in a kingdom way, you begin to act in a kingdom way, you go about making decisions in a kingdom way, you go about building relationships in your life in a kingdom way. As citizens of the kingdom of God, you are to walk in the kingdom way. And that's the title of our brand new series that we're kicking off today, The Kingdom Way, A Study on the Sermon on the Mount. And so, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go ahead and open up with me to Matthew chapter 5 if you haven't already done so. If you need a Bible today, just go ahead and raise your hand and someone will come around and get a Bible to you. If you are following along with us <clears throat> in these Bibles, we're on page 809. 809 is where we are. Excuse my voice. I'm, I was singing my heart out during worship and uh, I lost my voice a little bit, but bear with me. <clears throat> We'll also put the text up here on the screen if uh, you need to, uh, if you don't have a Bible in front of you and when you want to look along with us. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to start at the very top. Matthew chapter 5, picking up from verse 1. We're not going to go very deep into Matthew 5. In fact, we're going to just look at several verses here this morning. And uh, Matthew 5 uh, is, is, is the start in many ways, the sort of the, the inauguration of, of Jesus's ministry. And he starts off by preaching a message. Matthew chapter five, pick me up at verse one. This is what the gospel writer writes. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, he being Jesus. Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, now, I want you to see he's about to go into his most important sermon and i'm not sure if you have a subheading in your bible a lot of bibles uh, <clears throat> after the 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 ancient texts were written long after uh, scholars have indicated broken down the passages of scripture by by specific subheading titles and for this particular section if you have it in your bibles uh, it might indicate um, this portion of jesus sermon as the beatitudes the beatitudes now, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the Beatitudes of Jesus, the word beatitude simply derives from the Latin word beatitudo or beatus, which is actually translated from the Greek word makarios. Now, how they got from makarios to beatitudo, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not no linguistic whiz, but, but the Greek New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew, the word that, that is used here is makarios. In fact, the word makarios is the word that shows up in all eight statements in the Beatitudes from verses 3 through 10 in Matthew 5. Now, if we were to translate that word makarios, doesn't mean a whole lot to us here today. If we were to translate that word to the English language, the best translation would be the word blessed, blessed. Blessed are so-and-so, blessed are so-and-so, blessed are so-and-so. Well, listen, I want you to see it's not blessed in the way that we think of it today. When we think of this, this word blessed or the way we would use it in our world today, we use it in a very specific way. We use it in a circumstantial way or a situational way. Our lives are blessed when this happens. Our lives are blessed if something good comes my way. You see, the word makarios was more than circumstantial or situational blessedness. And so what you're not going to find Jesus saying at any point in the Beatitudes or even here today would be, blessed are those who hit the lottery, right? Like, blessed are those, blessed are you when you get the job of your dreams. Blessed are you when you marry the love of your life. Don't get me wrong, church. There's great blessedness in all of that. I ain't going to complain if I hit the lottery, all right? I'm just say my life is blessed. My life is good. None of us are going to complain if we get the job of our dreams or if we marry the love of our lives. But that is not Makarios. You see, to be blessed, to be Makarios, the way Jesus speaks of it, was to be in a state of being, was to be in a state of being or to, in other words, to exist in relationship with God. In other words, blessedness in the way that Jesus thought of it came exclusively through being in relationship with the living God. It had nothing to do with your good fortune or your situational blessedness. It had everything to do with how one related to God. So the person who's most blessed is not the one who has the most money, who has the most success, or who has their life so seemingly well put together. No, the person who is most blessed, according to Jesus, is the one who is most deeply connected to the heart of the Father. That person is the most blessed. And so, now with that in mind, Jesus begins his sermon by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm going to stop here for now. And uh, if I had it my way, I would take each blessed statement and devote each Sunday to a single blessed statement. But we don't have time for all of that. And so today, I, would, I just want to spend some time looking at these first two. The remainder of our time, I just want to quickly unpack some principles that are found in these first two blessed statements in the opening lines of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. First of all, I love that Jesus begins his sermon with something that you and I, every single one of us in this room, are intrinsically looking for. And what is that? The good life right? We want the blessed life. You know, In fact, here's here's the first kingdom way principle. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The kingdom way is the blessed way. The kingdom way is the blessed way, and that should strike you as fantastic news. When we're talking about the kingdom way, Jesus is telling us, hey, I want to show you a new way to live. It is a far more blessed way. The kingdom way is the blessed way Jesus is trying to tell us. In fact, the only avenue For the truly good life, the fulfilled life, the blessed life, the life that is filled with great meaning and purpose comes only through the kingdom way. You can't get it any other way. It comes when we align our lives according to the way of God's kingdom. The first word to the most important sermon ever preached is blessed. Blessed. Blessed are you. The kingdom way is the blessed way. But then the sermon seems to take a hard turn. (laughs) If you're tracking, the sermon seems to take a hard turn after the opening word of the sermon. He starts off, Jesus starts off by saying, blessed, to which most of his listeners at the time would have said something to the effect of, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I, I I want blessedness. I want the good life. I want my life to be blessed. Then Jesus goes on and he says are the poor in spirit to which his listeners would have said huh wait you had me a blessed you lost me a poor in spirit i was with you with blessedness the good life the fulfilled life the life filled with meaning and purpose and all of that i want that but you you sort of lost me a poor in spirit jesus continues on he says blessed yeah, Jesus, at the, right there. You said it again. That's what I want. I want the good life. Tell me how to get it. Are those who mourn? Okay, seriously, Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm not. I'm not tracking with you. You know, I know you speak in parables and mysteries, and you know, you're like the Riddler. I don't. But you you're losing me here. Blessed, I, I, what do you mean, are poor in spirit, are those who mourn. And this is where we come to our second kingdom way principle. The kingdom way is not just the blessed way, but it is also an upside down way. It is incredibly upside down. In fact, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, not just here in the Beatitudes, you're going to see that in the coming weeks, in the Beatitudes, but all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what you find is that Jesus begins to flip the script over and over again. We find him turning things upside down on its head, completely disorienting his listeners' worldviews. Over and over again. In fact, we'll see in the coming weeks, Jesus would often say things like this. You have heard it said, But I say to you, you have heard it said, but now I say to you, you understood this in a certain way, but let me shed some new light here. Remember, Jesus is trying to teach us a new way to live, the kingdom way. And oftentimes the kingdom way is an upside down way. And in this case, Jesus is saying there is blessing in poverty and there is blessing in mourning. There is blessing in poverty, and there is blessing in mourning. Not necessarily what his listeners would have associated with blessedness. Not necessarily what you and I would associate with blessedness here today. There is blessing in poverty, and there is blessing in mourning. But now the big question that you and I are left with, the big question that was begging in the front of the the, the listeners of of the, the, the first century church's mind here was, but how? How in the world, Jesus, are the poor in spirit, or any kind of poor for that matter, blessed? How, Jesus, can you find blessing in something like mourning? Both M-O-U-R-N and both M-O-R-N for you, for you night owls. You're like, there ain't no blessing in the morning, right? Like, give me my coffee and there's blessing in that, but, but there's no blessing in the morning. But maybe for you, you're like, now, Jesus, help me to understand. You say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. How in the world is there blessing in that? Because these are things that we generally run from, are they not? Poverty, mourning, we don't run towards these things. In fact, we design our lives so that we can avoid as much of that as possible. You're here to get an education, a degree, so that you're not poor <laughs> in any way, right? You're, you're, you're not trying, you're not looking for pain in your life. And yet Jesus seems to be saying otherwise. Well, for one, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, I want you to see that he's talking about a very specific type of person. He's talking about a very specific kind of person. What kind of person is he talking about? I love that we just sang that song, Do It Again, here right before the message time where, you know, this is my confidence. This is my confidence. I want you to hold on to that word because a poor in spirit person knows exactly where to place their confidence, and it ain't on themselves. You see, we, we seem to live in a world of self-confidence and self-empowerment. All right, how many messages do we hear about self-confidence and, and self-empowerment? Where we hear sayings like, You just gotta believe in yourself, man. You, you can achieve that, you, you can accomplish that. You know, just tap into the powers within. You can do whatever you want as long as you believe in yourself right? I mean, we've got countless books written on self-confidence building. Conferences are held by motivational speakers that speak about and teach you how to build your self-confidence. Seminars are taught, podcasts are made, messages are crafted, all with the intention of letting you know, hey, man, you've got what it takes and I love that. I'm a sucker for that. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I need self confidence every once in a while. I need self empowerment messages like that. But you see, I want you to understand the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are not in the least bit concerned with their self confidence. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 40 puts it perfectly. In Psalm 40, the psalmist says, But as for me, I am poor. There's that concept again. I am poor and needy. Now, this is not a message you're going to hear at a conference today. You're not going to see a seminar, come learn how to be poor and needy. As I said, You're not going to see that. You see a seminar like that, you go running the other way. I, I don't want to learn how to be poor and needy. I want to be rich and fulfilled, right? But the psalmist says, but ask for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. And I love what he says next. He says, you are my help and my deliverer, you are my God, do not delay. You see, the poor in spirit church don't place their confidence in themselves because the poor in spirit are preoccupied with placing their confidence in the Lord who is their help, who is their deliverer, who is ultimately their God who will not delay. You see, the poor in spirit actually believe the words of Jesus when he says, apart from me, you can do zilch. You can do nada. You can do nothing. You can do absolutely nothing apart from me. So abide in me, and I in you. And what does he say? He doesn't say you might He doesn't say, you may be, just maybe, just maybe. He doesn't say, oh, I hope you will. He says, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. And part of that fruit is the promise that's laid out right here in this verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And Jesus says, what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, it is only when we realize we've got nothing that we truly see. We've got everything right here. It's only when we realize we've got nothing to hold on to. You know, the, the, the people who have something to hold on to, you, you ever notice they always got something to prove You see, the poor in spirit have nothing to prove because they're not holding on to anything. The poor in spirit says, I've got nothing. Apart from Jesus, I've got nothing. I am nothing. My life is nothing. But as for me, I am poor and needy. But Lord, you are my help. You are my deliverer, God. You are my God who will not delay. That's poor in spirit. That's poor spirit. Now I can talk on, on end about, unpack this, this poor in spirit concept a little bit more. But for the sake of time, I'll just leave it there. The poor in spirit know where to place their confidence. And it's not on themselves. The poor in spirit are not preoccupied with that. They're preoccupied with putting their confidence in the Lord. Now, I want to move away from poor in spirit and look at those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. How is there blessing in that? How many of you know we are a society and a people that are hardwired to repel anything that doesn't make us feel good on the inside? It's a natural human reaction. it's, it's, It's hardwired within every single one of us. In other words, we reject anything that would bring our lives any kind of pain or grief or anguish. We do it all the time, and yet... Jesus seems to be asking his listeners to step into the pain, to step into the grief, to step into the anguish and not avoid it. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because Jesus is far more concerned with your healing than he is with your feelings. Jesus is far more concerned with your healing, healing of your soul than your feelings of discomfort and pain. No, I don't want you to mishear me. In fact, I'm going to unpack this here in just a moment. He, he, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about your feelings or he doesn't care about your pain. He is just far more concerned with healing your soul, healing your pain, healing your grief, than he is coping with it, helping you manage or or, or or deal with it. And so Jesus says to step into the pain, to step into the grief, to step into the anguish to which most of us would say, Yeah, I'm not so sure I want to do that. (laughs) I'm not so sure I want to step into my pain. But listen now, here's the alternative. As long as you have unprocessed pain in your life, as long as you have unprocessed pain that you avoid, pain that you pretend is not there, grief and and pain and hurt, uh, emotional pain that, that you just ignore, ignore, ignore over time. As long as you have unprocessed pain in your life, instead of being healed of the pain, you will simply find yourself adjusting your life to the pain. Now, this is, this is worth a million bucks right here. You, you, know, this, you need to tune into this, okay? Just, if, if, if you tuned out all message long, tune in right here because this is something that we need to grab hold of. As long as you have unprocessed pain in your life and and, and instead of being healed of the pain, you will simply find yourself adjusting your life according to the pain. Now, let me put it this way. If you've ever, ever injured yourself, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. So for me, I've tweaked my neck a couple of times before, whether it was, you know... <clears throat> sleeping weird and waking up the next morning, my, my neck is tweaked or, or you know, I was trying to pick something up or moving something and I, I pinched a nerve or I tweaked a muscle or something where there is this sharp shooting pain that shoots up my neck all the way up to the bottom of my skull. And it's just this excruciating pain and it severely inhibits my ability to move my neck. And, and you know, just any any slight motion will send sharp shooting pains up my nerves and, and it'll it'll just, just be the incredible... Amount of pain that I just I just can't bear, and so oftentimes you know what what I do in that moment. Eventually, what happens is I, I will you know for instance if I'm driving you know many of you you know you got to look over your shoulder right safe driving look over your shoulder and because I can't turn my neck I do one of these things right you you know what I'm talking about like or or if someone's talking to you to the side of you you don't turn your neck because because of that pain you got to turn your whole body. And you, they're like, dude, what are you doing, man? Just like, look at me. Why is this is weird? No, it's my neck. I tweaked my neck. I got to turn this way, you know. And so, oftentimes, what what eventually what happens is, you're driving or you're talking to someone, and I, what what becomes my norm is I don't even, I don't eventually, I don't even think about the pain. As I'm driving, I just instinctively just just turn this way. I'm I'm not even thinking about the pain anymore. If I'm talking to someone, I don't even think about turning my neck or turning my body. I just turn my body. But now here's the thing. Because I have so adjusted my life to this pain, even when my neck gets better, I instinctively end up turning as if I still had that pain. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because like the fact is oftentimes when I have a neck pain like that, it'll last a couple of weeks at least, right? It'll last a couple of years. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had this kind of pain, right? Like it's like, oh man, it lasts for a couple of weeks. And what, what you and I do in those couple of weeks is we train our bodies to turn and react in this way. You see, that's essentially what happens with unprocessed emotional pain in our lives. You begin to adjust your life to the pain, and so consequently, you end up walking with a limp for the rest of your life without even knowing it, without even being aware, you end up walking with a limp for the rest of your life. And now what does that limp look like? What does that proverbial neck pain look like when it comes to my emotional pain, or emotional, unprocessed pain. Well, for you, maybe for you, you end up responding to certain situations with immense hostility and, and 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 anger that looks disproportionate to the offense, and you don't know why you respond that way. It's just this natural, instinctual response. You respond with great anger and rage in certain moments and in certain contexts, and you can't figure out why, why you ever respond that way. You look at the offense and you say, This shouldn't be provoking this kind of response. I know that in my head, but I don't know why I emotionally respond this way. Maybe for you, you find yourself growing insecure in certain contexts around certain people and you can't figure out why. You just know that you feel so insecure that you just want to crawl into a ball and hide. You want to run away. But it's in these certain contexts that you find this growing sense of insecurity rising within you. Maybe for you, you begin to show signs and tendencies of great jealousy and envy of the people around you. When someone else succeeds next to you, you have an incredibly difficult time celebrating the success of the people around you because there's something in you that rages up from within Call it jealousy or envy or whatever it might be, but you respond in this way and you can't figure out why. Maybe for you, you emotionally shut down when someone tries to say something to you about you. You can't handle any kind of criticism, even the healthy ones, you shut it all down. Maybe for you, you've made it a habit to keep everyone at arm's distance, You don't really let anyone in. And so consequently, what you've got is you've got a ton of acquaintances, but not a lot of people who actually know you, who really know you. Not just people who hang with you, chill with you, party with you, but people who actually know you inside out. And you've resolved all of this by saying, this is just how I've always been. This is just how I always respond. This is just how I am. This is just how I've always been. Friends, can I suggest something to you this morning? Could it be that that's not actually true? That's not how you've always been. The chances are you tweaked your neck somewhere along the way and you have simply just learned to live with the pain. And it's manifesting in your life now in these particular ways. All you've done is you have adjusted your life to the pain. You haven't actually dealt with the pain. And listen, this is precisely why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, who mourn their pain, who grieve their pain, who feel their pain and not avoid it, not run away from it, not hide from it, not pretend like it's not there. Worse yet, who simply learn to live with the pain. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And the promise is this, when you do When you do, Jesus says, God will meet you in that pain. God will minister to you in that pain. God will come to you in that pain, and he will bring comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God will heal your neck so that you don't have to live with that pain anymore, but you might live in freedom and wholeness so that you might live in the kingdom way. That is the kingdom way, people. To live in wholeness and freedom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Church, do you see how the kingdom way is truly the blessed way? It is is the only blessed way. But it's also an incredibly upside down way. Over and over again through the words of Jesus, you're going to find him just disorienting our worldview and flipping things upside down. And I want you to see, church, that right here in the opening lines of the greatest sermon to have ever been preached, Jesus says, church, there is blessing in poverty when you learn to place your confidence in Christ alone. And there's great blessing in mourning. There's great blessing in grieving because it's only when we truly grieve the pains of our lives that we find healing for our souls. Jesus is the great healer of our souls And the only way that we can get there is to step into the pain, to step into the grief, and to step into the anguish. Church, you will never be healed of the things that which you avoid. You won't. You'll just simply learn to cope with it. You'll simply learn to live with it, and you'll learn how to just live awkwardly turning without any mobility or freedom in your neck. Church, would you find healing? There's healing for you. There's healing for all of us. Jesus came to bring healing, mind, body, and soul, inside and out. Jesus is our healer. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if you have any questions or doubts on that, I've got good news for you. Today, we get to celebrate as a church Holy Communion. And at the communion table, we find healing for our souls we find Jesus dying on a cross and in his death, he says, hey, I've come to bring healing through my death. I've come to bring you life through my death. I've come to bring you freedom and liberty through my death. And I wanna wrap up our time by inviting us to the communion table this morning. We have communion available every week, but once a month we take communion together as a church family to remember the love of Christ. And so as the worship team comes forward and gets set up, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think about this before we come to the communion table. Jesus didn't just preach this message. You know, you got a lot of preachers out there who just preach a message without living it. And church, you got to know, I do my darn hardest to live by what I preach. Jesus didn't just preach this message. He actually lived it out to a T, flawlessly, flawlessly. He lived this out himself. In fact, Philippians 2 tells us that Christ emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus became poor in spirit. He's not just saying to the church, hey, I want you to be poor in spirit. Now go and do it, and I'm just going to sit here richly on my kingly throne. No, Jesus became poor in spirit first to set the example for the church. And that's what we see at the communion table. The body broken for us, the blood shed for us, we see poor in spirit. He also grieved and mourned the weight of sin that he was carrying to the cross in the garden of Gethsemane. Over the gospels, what you see is that we get a glimpse of jesus feeling every bit of the pain in fact the bible tells us that jesus sweat became like drops of blood he felt it all he felt every bit of the pain by the way if you're here today and you're new to the christian faith or you're new to christianity and all of this you're just kind of exploring here this today you might be asking yourself why in the world would jesus do all that You know, empty himself, die on a cross, bear that kind of pain and burden, and undergo that kind of anguish to the point of sweating drops of blood. Why? Why would Jesus do all of that? It is for no other reason than the simplicity of the gospel itself, which is your Father in heaven loves you to the point of sending His Son for you. That's it. Your Father in heaven deeply deeply. loves you. He is crazy about you. He loves you more than you could possibly know in your human finite understanding. And the crazy thing is, Jesus would do it all over again for you if he had to. Go through that kind of pain. Go through that kind of anguish. Carry that kind of burden so that you and I can find freedom and healing for our souls. He would do it all over again. And that's why so many Christians all across the world have bowed their knee to the lordship of Jesus because their lives have been so changed by this love. Not because they feel compelled by doctrine or they're guilted into anything or, or because they're, they're forced into believing something that is as ludicrous as the son of God descending upon humanity to die for us. That's, I mean, you see the scandal in that, don't you, church? In, in our human construct, that, that is scandalous, that is ludicrous. And yet that is the scandal of heaven that intersects with our world. And so that's why. That's why we celebrate what we're celebrating here this morning. Remembering the love of Christ that is freely poured out for you and for me, a love so strong that will compel us to pursue something as crazy as poor spirits. <laughs> A love so deep that it would meet us in the dark, darkest places of our mourning and grief. That's what you find at the communion table. It's not just pieces of bread and wafers and juice, it's what it represents, it's what it symbolizes.